0: Good morning, Cornerstone. How's everybody doing? Come on. Are you guys excited to be at church today? (laughs) My name is Scott Rogers. I am really excited to be here. And I I want to take a moment to welcome everyone who may be experiencing this at the 5 o'clock service here in Chandler and all of you online at Cornerstone Online. We are thrilled to have you here with us. Are we not? Come on, let's make some noise. Let them know that we're glad to be a part of this whole big deal. Well, man, the holidays are upon us, and as much as some of us may want to deny it, it's a fact. We cannot put it on the side. It's front and center. We are thrust into the holiday season. How many of you guys by a show of hands would say, I honestly, I love Christmas. I love the whole season of Christmas. Put your hands up. Okay, hand down. How many of you would say, oh, honestly, Scott, if you're really asking me, I'm not a big fan of the holidays and Christmas. It kind of annoys me a little bit. Put your hand up, a few of you. Hey, it's a safe place. It's good. It's all right. There's a lot to love, though, about the holidays, in my opinion. I mean, you do have family. You have a whole bunch of fun, food, right? The parties and the presents. And it's a big deal. It's a whole lot of fun. But what would Christmas be without the carols, the Christmas carols? Another survey. Come on, put your hand up. You love Christmas carols. Put your hand high, loud and proud. That's me, man. I love them. You put them on in October. You're cranking the Christmas carols again. To be fair for everyone, how many you say, man? Christmas carols? Nah, I'm, I'm I'm all right with that. It's all right. It's good. We're all sinners in the sight of God. It's okay. It's good. So I got an opportunity a few weeks ago, invited to come back to Cornerstone, which I absolutely love, and Pastor Lynn gave me the opportunity to start this brand new series called Carols, looking at some of the classic Christmas carols and literally saying, what might God be saying to us as we use these carols as a launching pad into scripture? What might they be saying to us in their lyrics? I got first dibs. He said, pick which one you want. I thought, man, this is ph- phenomenal, cool deal. So I kind of got stressed out, though, to be honest with you, because I wanted it to be epic. I wanted it to be really good. And so I'm thinking, hard, like, "What which Christmas carol do I do? I've never done anything like this before. I was praying about it. I was seeking the wisdom of my elders. That's the only lie I'll tell you the whole time. I didn't do all of that. But I did think, man, what am I going to do? So I went where we all go for clarity in life, for conviction, for purpose, To get answers in our life, I went to the internet. And here's what I found. I did a search. I put in something like, what are the top 10 or the most popular Christmas carols of all time? And here's what this particular website came up with. Now, what I want to do is I want to say the name or the title of the Christmas carol, and then you finish it for me, all right? Five o'clock, you can do this as well. Here's number 10, according to this website. Here it is. Old little town of... Nice, nice. Now, hey, the other service outdid you on that one, so you've got another chance coming up here. Here we go. Number nine, angels we have. Number eight, joy to the. Number seven, what child? Who you got it? Man, I feel like David Letterman all of a sudden. Like top ten. Here we go. Oh, this will get a big one. Silent. Nice. Oh, come, oh, come. Yeah, a little hesitation though, isn't it? Hark the herald. Yeah. O come, oh come, all ye. Number two. I'm not even going to ask you to say it because it's ridiculous. I've never heard it in my life. Once in Royal David's, one guy got it. Give him a hand, man. Way to go. Bam. And according to this website, the number one most popular uh, Christmas carol of all time is O oh Holy So I look through this list and I think, which one am I going to do? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through it. And I literally come to the place out like, I can't do it. It's too foo-foo. It's too pastel. They're too, they're too soft for me. I'm thinking, man, I need a carol that's got some teeth. I need something with some attitude, with some grit. Where can I find it? And then I find the little drummer boy. The little drummer boy. You're thinking, I know, you. A, a moment of silence. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Attitude, teeth, Grit? What's going on? Well, here's maybe your problem. When you think of the little drummer boy, here's what you envision. Look at the screen. See, that's that's what you think. Am I not right? Or maybe you even think of this. Little drummer boy. In my mind, when I envision this drummer boy with attitude, here's what I see right here. Bam. Yes. Tommy Lee, all the way. If you're not familiar with him, at least I think this when I think of the Little Drummer Boy, right here, absolutely. So that's where we're going, Little Drummer Boy. Plus, the cool thing is, for me, it makes my job easier because half the lyrics are completely irrelevant. Think about it, pa rum pa bum bum, right? Pa-rum-pa-bum. What is what is that? What does that mean? What's the purpose in that? So for all of you who really like to fill out every blank in the outline, cross every T, dot every I, very detail-oriented, I'm not going to say the bum bums after the, the, the sentences. So let's just get it out right now, okay? Five o'clock, join with us. Everybody say bum bum. Ready, go. Okay, exhale, it's good. Okay, the world is a good place. You've done it. Here's what it says, jumping into the little drummer boy the first part of it. He says, come, they told me. Now, I'm not going to sing because that would just freak everybody out. Come, they told me. And then it goes, a newborn king to see our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king so to honor him when we come. So literally, our fictional character, the little drummer boy, is placed in the scene and the setting of the factual account of Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 21. If you have a Bible, it's in your lap or it's on your mobile device, go ahead and go to Luke chapter 2. Let me walk you through it a little bit before we get into the detail. Because for many of us who read Scripture, it is what we would maybe say the classic Christmas text. Luke chapter 2. Let me paint the scene for you. Joseph is engaged to Mary. Scandalously, Mary's pregnant and they're not married yet. But if you've read the Bible, you realize Joseph wasn't out of bounds. It was the Holy Spirit of God who got Mary pregnant and to to conceive. So the governor of the region says to everybody, he says, hey, the word is out. I want everyone to converge on the city of Bethlehem, otherwise known as the city of David. We're going to take a census and we're going to count the population. We want to know who's where and what and all that kind of stuff. So Mary is in her third trimester. She is ready to pop. And the census starts to happen. They go to Bethlehem. And of course, because everybody's converging on the city, the hospitals are full. All the yahoos are partying and getting hurt. All the h- hotels are completely booked up. The bed and breakfast have no vacancy. There's nowhere to go. Mary starts going into labor. Joseph, I'm thinking, is like, what do we do now? Where do I go? And he finds a stable where there's a feeding trough. And Mary gives birth to a baby right there. And then at the same time, out in some field somewhere, some shepherds are watching over their sheep. Right? They're watching over their sheep, and at the same moment, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. Now, a supernatural thing is happening. The factual account the angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds, the glory of the Lord is all around them. They are freaking out, scared. And here's where we go, verse 10, Luke chapter 2, is where we pick it up. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of what? Of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The shepherds then go into Bethlehem and they see the baby. They see Mary and Joseph. They're on the scene having a supernatural occurrence, but now they're literally looking in a very natural sense. Here's a baby but beyond what they could even see in that moment in the spiritual realm is an epic movement of God, the most epic thing that's happened since creation, maybe. And it's cool because in another place in the Bible, in John chapter one, it pulls back the curtains for us so we can see even deeper into what is happening in the spiritual realm with this baby in this feeding trough with Joseph and Mary. John chapter one, let me read a couple of verses to you. In verse nine, here's what's happening At this this moment. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. Fast forward to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're the kind of person who likes to take notes, here's a thought for you. What is happening right here is the eternal God has invaded our temporary world and become a man. That's Christmas. That's the amazing, epic occurrence that's happening right here that the God of all creation... I can't get my pea brain mind around this, to be quite honest with you. The God of all creation, the heavens and the earth, the cosmos, the universe, everything, has become a man in the form of this baby right here. His name is Jesus. That's Christmas. I love what the message translation says about verse 14. Check this out. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that cool? He moved into the neighborhood. My wife, Shelley and I, we've been married for 18 years. And we had the honeymoon from hades It wasn't good Here's what happened. We dated for 10 days decided. Hey, this is cool. Let's get engaged So we got engaged after 10 days of dating. I don't recommend it but hey 18 years later and we're still rolling So we get engaged and we've known each other for a, a number of years Doing a whole bunch of stuff together and volunteering at our church and so we get engaged She's responsible for the wedding plans We divvy it up I'm responsible for the details of the honeymoon. The wedding went off without a hitch. The honeymoon, however, was a train wreck. So here's what happens. My wife Shelley, she's an accountant. So she's detail oriented. She's got it all down. The wedding was just it was wonderful. She did her deal. And my thing was set up the whole honeymoon. We made the agreement. We're gonna go out to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and hang out on the eastern seaboard for about a week. It's gonna be magnificent. My thing is, I'm a little more spontaneous. I like to improv a little, kind of let's pave the road as we go at times. And so we, our plan was to get into our, our rental car from Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's where we are. We're, we're Michiganders. It's where we grew up. We're going to go from West Michigan out to Cape Cod in our rental car. And as we began, it was about 9 o'clock at night after a long day. We're tired. And we start on the drive. And she says, where are we going to stay? as if it were a surprise. Well, it was a surprise because I said, well, we'll find a place to stay on the way. I had never booked any hotel room for a whole honeymoon. Now, ladies, you're hating me right now. And it's fair because it just shows you that any guy can stand up in front of a few people and say, oh, I was an idiot. I made a huge mistake. Sorry, all men are created equal. We are idiots at times. Is that fair to say? So anyway, don't clap ladies. So I, I just, I was just, just, I was stupid. Didn't never book a hotel room. So we're on our way and I'm thinking, all right, let's just find a place to stay. It's about 10 o'clock at night and we pull over along the highway. One of the exits was a bunch of hotels and you know, the national chains and stuff. We go into one, no vacancy, full. We go down the street to the next one, no rooms, full, literally three or four hotels, full. So we think, what are we going to do? So I do what we did back in 1995. Four of you will remember this. I pull out my paper Franklin planner. Like I said, four of you will remember that. I turn to the back section to the 800 numbers of all the national hotel chains. We go to the pay phone and we start calling all these places and saying, hey, do you have any room? Do you have any room? No room at all. One lady finally says to us, she says, sir. It's August 19th. Do you know what's happening right now? And we were like, no. She said, well, there's a NASCAR race in Brooklyn tomorrow morning. And there are national tractor poles in Bowling Green, Ohio. There's not a room available from Detroit to New York City. And I'm thinking, oh, this is bad. This is bad. So we get tired, pull our rental car into a rest stop in Cleveland, Ohio, She sleeps in the back seat. I sleep in the front seat. It was a glorious first night of our honeymoon. (laughs) Next morning, we get up. We go into the restroom. We're brushing our teeth. And then we head out. We're going to the East Coast. We get to Eastern Pennsylvania. It's like, abort the mission. This is just not working. We turn around, go back, and we come back to Grand Rapids, Michigan to move into a house that we had bought in the ghetto And before we'd even closed on it, we're going to move into this thing. So she and I met uh, just ministering to kids and students in the inner city, trying to tell them about Jesus and just trying to be a light into a place that had some difficult circumstances. So we move into the inner city. We're like, we're going to be inner city missionaries, man. And so before we even closed on the house, we hadn't even closed yet. They gave us the keys. They didn't care because directly across the street are two completely boarded up abandoned homes on each side of us, up and down the street, are a number of boarded up, abandoned homes. And we move in, and the neighbors are looking at us like, what the is going on? Who are you? What are you doing? We're like, hey, we're moving in, baby. We're your new neighbors. And they're like, you don't belong here, man. I'm like, well, I do now. I own the place. Well, you don't, you don't, don't no, you don't get it. You don't belong here. I'm like, well... Looks like we get get a chance to get to know each other, don't we? And literally, a short time after that, we had become wonderful friends with some beautiful people and had an an amazing experience putting ourselves into that culture, in that community. And it was pretty awesome. But we moved into the hood. That's what they called it. They're like, you in the ghetto, man! I was like, okay, that's what we call it. Yeah, I'm in the ghetto. Let's go. We moved into the hood. That's what that's what the message translation says. Literally, that God has moved into the neighborhood. Now, you may live in Iwatuki Fountain Hills, Queen Creek, Cave Creek, Chandler, it doesn't matter where you're Gilbert, Mesa, compared to heaven, you live in the ghetto. Okay? Scottsdale, you live in the hood, baby, compared to heaven. Paradise Valley is the ghetto compared to what eternity in the presence of God is going to be. And literally, the Bible says that God moved into the neighborhood. Us, the eternal God, has invaded our temporary world. He's become a man. Speculating that maybe our fictional character, the little drummer boy, is standing before Jesus. This God who became flesh and blood, moved into the neighborhood, is right before him. And I would speculate, how does he respond once he gets this? That's that's a creator right there in the feeding trough, man. That's crazy. He's right there. We go back to the lyrics. Check this out. He looks at this baby. Now think of this, though. Jesus is there, an infant, wrapped in cloth. The reality is this is the God of all creation, moved into the neighborhood. This is the God that gives you and I our very very next breath. This is the God who created the stars, is right here. This is the God who created cats for some reason I do not know. But he's here. He's moved into the neighborhood. This is the God who allows the Oakland Raiders to exist. Why, I do not know. But he's here. He's moved into the neighborhood. This is the God who knows exactly what you're thinking right now. This is the God who knows when, where you were, and how you were hurt. This is the God who knows the grief in your heart and the holiday season from the tragedy of the loss of someone you love. This God is right here, moved into the neighborhood. Our fictional drummer boy is here. We speculate if he were to know this, he might respond as the lyrics say, He says, little baby, I am a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king. Shall I play for you on my drum? Here he is standing before his maker. Let's insert something here and just play with this song a little bit. I wonder if he was kind of at a place where the true factual account of Isaiah the prophet was in Isaiah chapter 6 literally God gives Isaiah this vision Of who he is his grandeur his holiness And here's what it says scripture in Isaiah 6 verse 1 Isaiah says I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted now try to just imagine this Okay, I know it's hard for us because we are finite and God is infinite well, just think about it a little bit. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe, it filled the temple. It goes on to say that there were angels in the room called seraphim, and describes them a little bit. And they are saying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I get this sense here with the emphasis not being like, God's pretty cool. Oh, that was a cute video. I like that. I I don't get that sense that there's kind of this spectator type of moment going on. These angels are literally saying, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God almighty. then it goes on to say this, the whole earth is filled full of his glory. That's the God who's this little baby who's moved into the neighborhood. Isaiah experiences what, maybe if you've experienced a moment with God before, this happens to him. Whenever we see God more for who he really is, we immediately see ourselves for who we really are. Here's what he says in verse 5. Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is in this moment, in the grandeur of God, in His holiness, in God's moral purity, feeling so insignificant, morally exposed. And literally, I would think, The gravitational pull of the holiness of God is pulling him down into a posture of reverence. Scared to death, as we all would be, wanting to run, God affirms him and accepts him and loves him, and so his fear turns into worship in the presence of the Almighty. Let me, can I just talk to you real honest for a minute, or continue to be honest, like as as if I'm lying about something? I mean, I'm a frustrated pastor. Here's the deal. I have heard, I've been a follower of Jesus for a little over 20 years. And I have heard thousands of sermons like this. I've heard probably thousands way better than this. And I've heard thousands of these. And to be, to be honest with you, man, I've heard hundreds, if not maybe even over a thousand that have changed my life. There have been moments where I've walked into a setting like this and I left different than when I came in. Absolutely. I am a huge fan of, of teaching scripture. But at the same time, my frustration right now, just for me personally, is is this, when I read this about Isaiah, so often for me, I've heard so many articulate sermons, three ways to this, five steps to this, seven keys to that, as if we could take a message and take life and just wrap it up in a nice little bowl and walk out of church going, oh, now we're squeaky clean and polished and everything is good. And I'm, I'm just not there right now. I'm more like, God, give us a moment like Isaiah has. The dude is undone, man, in the presence of God. My prayer is literally that God would at some point, when I have an opportunity to contribute, that we would walk out of church not saying, hey, what'd you learn in church? And be able to articulate it. But we would walk out going, to, I'm speechless, man. Because God was there and he jacked me up. He messed me up in such a good way. I just so crave that. We can walk away not being able to be articulate and just say it was Jesus. A little slobber running down your cheek or something like that. God's in the house, man. Think about it. We we don't, um, we keep on moving. The little drummer boy. So let's say he's maybe at that place. Maybe our boy boy's a little undone. And previously he says, the last in the last part, he says, shall I play for you? <laughs> I always think that's funny. Shall I play for you? Like, like the dude, he didn't he didn't expect to be standing at that place that day when he got out of bed. Or wherever he slept. Suddenly he finds himself in the presence of the creator. He's like, oh, um, I'm kind of I'm speechless. I don't know. Uh, I got my drum, shall I play? Wipe out, something like that for you? I don't know. It goes on, it says this. The lyrics say, after he says, shall I play for you, me and my drum, it says, Mary nodded. Everybody say, Mary nodded. (laughs) I guess he needs his mother's approval or something. I don't know what the deal is there. And then it goes on, it says, the ox and lamb kept time. What he, he goes, Pixar on us all of a sudden. Ox and lamb, keep in time. Forget that, all right? Again, this is just the lyrics to a song. But then he goes on. It says, I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. I get the sense that at this point, he's all in, man. He's committed. The king of creation is right before him and he's committed. He didn't expect it that day. Isn't that how it works, though? For those of you who are followers of Christ and you've had experiences or moments with God you know what I'm talking about that are more than the normal it's not like we have this premeditated decision of what we're going to do it's like God shows up and we're suddenly forced into a moment of what do I do how do I respond let me try to illustrate it this way uh, if you're anything like me you probably didn't ask this question when you came to church let's say you're you, you were riding with somebody your spouse maybe driving to church and your spouse says hey honey what do you expect from church today? Well, I don't know. And maybe if you're honest, you'd say, uh, not here at Cornerstone, of course, but uh, not a whole lot. Same old, same old. But what if they said, what do you expect from church today? And you're like, man, you know what? Sit down, Johnny, I'm going to whip your tail. You keep hitting your sister like that and driving along. Man, I'm, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expect to have to deal with the hassle of the parking. And I'm going I'm to encounter about three or four or five highly caffeinated, uh, overzealous greeters who are going to try to kiss me on the cheek as I walk in. And I'm going to walk into the auditorium. And there's going to be loud music, two fast songs, two slow songs, led by a guy with a plaid shirt and skinny jeans, of course. <laughs> but at some point, the presence of God is going to show up. And I'm going to be put on my face, sucking rug, surrendering my eternal soul to my creator. When he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, I'm going to say, all right, I'm in. Do we, we, don't, we don't think that that might happen. We don't premeditate that, do we? If we're honest. It's like God shows up and we, we respond. Whoa, what do I do now? It reminds me a lot of when Jesus is teaching in Matthew 13 and he's illustrating the kingdom of God. And in verse 44, here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again. He sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. He discovers this treasure He says, man, I don't know if he had to mine for it or if it was there and he couldn't carry it out. I don't know. Again, it's just a story Jesus told to illustrate the kingdom. But he said he left it there. He went back, put everything on Craigslist, sold it all so he could get enough money to buy this field. So often as as Christians, we'll say things like, oh, the cost of following Jesus. Oh, it's such a high cost. I'll tell you, it's even in Scripture that it is a high cost. And it is. There are tough times trying to stick with God's plan. I mean, it gets hard. Is that okay for honest? But so often we think about the cost. If you look at it here, literally, the guy who found the treasure, the cost for him was keeping what he had instead of gaining what he just found. The cost is so much bigger to keep the stuff that we have instead of giving it up for Christ and the cause of his kingdom. Maybe it applies to you in this way. Let me read it and try to personalize it a little bit. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a woman discovered when realizing that time in God's word was so much more life giving than hours on Facebook. The kingdom of heaven is like a uh, like like a treasure that a guy discovered when he discovered the purposes of God for his family how immense and how eternal and how challenging they are, but how holy they are, that he decided not to send that flirtatious text to Sally in the marketing department. The kingdom of God is like a treasure that a student discovered, realizing that running hard after Jesus is so much more beneficial than pursuing popularity at school. When we are confronted with who God is in that moment, we see the treasure before us of what he and his kingdom is. We're always challenged to make a decision. What do we do with it? What do we do with it? Thursday night, confession time. Is that all right? Thursday night, Thanksgiving, uh, me and our family, my wife Shelley and our three kids, we went to Walmart. I know, I know. I can't remember that we, I've ever done that, Going to Walmart on Thursday night. Folsom, California, the Walmart. It was insane, crazy, busy. No one was being uh, disrespectful, but people were running all over the place. There's lines like crazy, and you're kind of walking through all this stuff, and it's it's nuts. So we got some cool deals, of course. Anybody, come on, confess. We went out on Thursday night. All right, you guys. You guys, are so holy, the rest of them, isn't, aren't they? <laughs> or they're lying. So we're in there and I'm thinking, you know what? As Christians, we so often give a bad rap to the commercialization of Christmas, right? And and maybe it is. But instead of just kind of complaining about it and giving a bad rap and then fueling the machine like we did by going there, or at least going on Black Friday, let's embrace it and let Christmas challenge us. Let's let the zeal and the insanity of the commercialization of Christmas challenge us as believers. Let me illustrate it this way. Our commitment to Christ, let's have maybe what I would try to call a cabbage patch commitment. 30 years ago today, 1983. This was the craze of the world. Anybody older than 30 remember these? Cabbage patch kids. Man, he's going up for auction at the end of this service. Just kidding. 1983, this is the craze of the world. It's going insane all the way to 1984. Let me read something to you that happened, uh, with the, with the Cabbage Patch Kid. Here we go. American mobs were toppling display tables, ripping dowels from the packaging, and trampling pregnant women. Let's not be that zealous. When you come into Cornerstone, please don't trample the pregnant women. Just go around them and then trample everybody else who's doing just fine. Witnesses described the scene at a Vermont department store as a minor earthquake with plate glass windows shaking and people screaming at each other. In Tokyo, a shipment of 3,000 kids in February 1984 triggered a stampede. There was this guy, and if you were around, you might even recollect now that I'm talking about it, a guy named Ed Pennington. He was a postal worker in Kansas City. He couldn't find a cabbage patch kid for his 11-year-old daughter if it depended on his life. He looked high and low. They were completely sold out. The guy flies to London, England and gets his 11-year-old daughter a Cabbage Patch Kid. That dude was all in. That's what I would call commitment. Not to get so ideal and, and do the pastor thing when we talk in ways that we just can't live out on a normal day. But man, let that challenge us. When was the last time we heard a bunch of people say, you know, the the Christmas season's here, and all them Christians are worshiping so loud, and the churches are packed, and they're just so all about Jesus. It's really annoying me. They're getting in my way, and they're in the aisles, and they're talking about Jesus. That doesn't happen, does it? We don't even have a hashtag, do we? But let it challenge us. The king of eternity, the creator has invaded our temporary world. He's become a man. That's Christmas. It has happened. He's the one in whom the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The glory of his the Lord fills the temple. It's across the whole earth. He's moved into the neighborhood. He's the one. When we stumble upon who he is, like a treasure hidden in a field, we're faced with that unexpected moment of what do we do? How do we respond? Let's let this season be about him and worship him big time. Here's what John chapter 1 says. I'm going to reread a couple things. And before I go there, actually, I don't want to overlook the last phrase in our Little Drummer Boy's lyrics. Imagine a little drummer boy responding. He plays his drum. He plays his best for him. Maybe for you and me, we can make that into, man, we, we give him the best of who we are. Not just what we do, but giving him who we are. Man, I'm all about Jesus. I'm worshiping him. I'm in his word. Christmas is the time, maybe even more than ever, that I exalt him. I make a big deal about him. My life is committed to his cause. Whatever God speaks to you, we give it to him. And I think the response is the same for the little drummer boy when he says he gave his best for him and it says, then he smiled at me, me and my drum. The smile of God on our life, not trying to perform for acceptance or love, but simply the smile of God that says, man, you're in, that is awesome. John 1, 10 through 13, says he was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I read that before. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, now let this speak to you. Let, this, let scripture speak to you here. Not just some Joel reading verses from the Bible, but this is God breathed to us and, and just receive it as that. It says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. Maybe you're here today, you're with us online. And you are in an unexpected moment where God is stirring something in you. And maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus. And I certainly hope there's a ton of you here that aren't. Because this moment is for you. Maybe you're here, you don't know him, and you're just faced with this unexpected reality of, man, if that dude is telling the truth, the God of creation became a man? He's holy? He loves me? His kingdom and the treasure of his kingdom is thought worth far more than anything I could ever acquire on this earth. If that's true, what's my reasonable response? In my mind, the only reasonable response is complete surrender. Complete surrender. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's all pray. Father God, we respectfully and reverently just want to say thank you so much for who you are, God. You are awesome. You are holy, holy, holy are you, God. You are the almighty Thank you so much that you love us and you embrace us, God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please give me permission to speak to you for just a moment. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. You're just like I was years ago sitting in a setting like this. I didn't know him, but I knew that I had to do something about what I just heard because God was moving in my heart. And my response, because of his grace, was simply, I just surrender to Christ. Christ, be in my life. Make me who you want me to be. Maybe you're sitting here today, your head's bowed, your eyes closed, and God is tugging on you in your response. I can't tell you how to respond, but I encourage you to simply surrender to it and come to Christ. And the way that we do that is just simply pray and ask him to be our savior, be our Lord. Ask for his forgiveness. And the Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can take it to the bank. God promises it. So I want to ask all of us to pray this together. And it's really for those of you who don't know Christ, but you want to begin a life with him as your savior. Join with us in this prayer. Let's all pray this together. You online at five o'clock, pray this together. Let's say, Father God, today I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, forgive me of my mistakes and my sin thank you that you died for me on the cross and that you've risen from the dead be my savior be the lord of my life make me a child of god thank you that i'm forgiven this christmas season lord i want to be all about you you are christ the king in jesus name i pray amen hey if you just prayed that prayer real quick that's the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. I'm telling you, man, I get stirred up just knowing that some of you guys made that decision. Because it's so big, I want to encourage you to allow Cornerstone Church to come alongside with you and help you out as you begin this relationship with Christ. And the way that you can do that, it's really simple. Take that uh, card that's in the seat back in front of you. It's about making a decision for Christ. Fill it out On your way out, there's some places to drop it off. Just do that, man. Trust them. It's okay. They're not going to show up at your door and do anything weird or hokey. They just want to help you, pray for you, and get excited with you, man. Let's give a hand for those who made that decision today, guys. Congratulations.